0: This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Landmine. Back here, folks, with uh, Jeremy Conkling, the president of the Anchorage Police Department Employee Association. How you doing? Great, great. Happy to be here. APDEA.
1: APDEA. That's right. Yeah.
0: You, you walked in, you look pretty official. You got to hold the badge <laughs> and the gun and, yeah. and like hands are up, you know. Yeah, regardless
1: <laughs> of what my kids say, I'm still a real police officer. <laughs> so
0: so, um, it's, so you reached out to me. I did a podcast with Bill Evans last week. Right. was running for mayor, a former officer in Cleveland. Right. And you listened to it. Right, and you uh, reached out, and I said, "Man, I'd love to do a podcast with you." So glad you're here.
1: Yeah, I'm very grateful for you having me here. I uh, I thought that was a fantastic podcast. I listened to quite a bit of your podcasts, and uh, I thought now more than ever, you and Bill touched on uh, the topic of police and their relationship with their community and reform, and thought it'd be appropriate to sit down and chat.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm really happy you reached out. I've actually um, known your predecessors, Gerard. Yep. Uh, and then he got promoted to lieutenant or captain? Captain
1: or? now. He's the captain of patrol. So he's <laughs> in charge of our entire patrol division.
0: And then Brian, I didn't know as well, but Brian Wilson, he he has also been promoted.
1: Yes, he is now a lieutenant, uh, and he is in charge of all of our special teams. So K-9, SWAT,
0: EOD, all that. So when you go to the, the it's kind of management level, right? Correct. So no more union. No more union. So are you, are you next? Are you the next? To to get promoted? <laughs> uh,
1: I, I am not. I will not be promoting. Uh, I've got about two years left uh, in law school, and then I will be transitioning out of APD and... On the legal practice. Hopefully. Oh dang! Do so. you have
0: like prosecutor or any idea?
1: Uh, no. I want to stay away from criminal law. I want to stay on the labor side, the labor and employment laws, where I want to just sort of. I think it's more oh, of it's a like natural B- transition is what like, I'm doing now. It's like Bill Evans. Yeah, it's exactly right. Um,
0: yep. uh, where are you going to law school?
1: Uh, Mitchell Hamlin. It's uh, it's based in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, but it's, uh, one of, uh, two or three ABA accredited American Bar Association accredited law schools that are allowed, allow you to do a large component of it through distance. Yeah, Cause
0: that's one of the, you were one of the few states without, a law school. Correct. So. Yeah. So do you have to do like mostly online, but some in person or? Yep.
1: That's exactly right. Pre, uh, COVID is kind of throwing a wrench in everything, but pre COVID we, I'd go back uh, one week at the beginning of each semester and one week at the end of each semester.
0: Still a three-year deal, or
1: uh, it's it's designed to be a four-year deal. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've been taking some online summer school classes to try and advance that. So hopefully, I'll get out in about two and a half, three years tops.
0: Two two and a half more.
1: Uh, I've got yeah. Well, no, I should say it should be should be two years almost exactly.
0: Okay, nice. So so why did you uh, when did you and why did you decide to become a police officer?
1: Yeah. So I uh, I got hired up in Alaska in Valdez, actually, as a police officer in 2007 uh, and been a police officer ever since. It was always sort of something that I had had interest in uh, growing up. I, I always uh, enjoyed it and respected the profession and thought it was a fantastic way to sort of make a positive impact in the community uh, at more of the, you know, the frontline level, the immediate help. Uh, and, and that always appealed to
0: me. Were you from Alaska or?
1: No, originally from uh, just outside of Oakland, California. Uh, moved up here here in two thousand and four, uh, Raiders fan. College, yeah,
0: oh yeah. I'm also I also moved here in two thousand and four. Did so, you? Okay, uh, right on August '04.
1: Okay, I was um, I was December. We got up here like two days before New Year's when we grad we graduated college at uh, University of Colorado and drove up.
0: Oh, my friend, I grew up in New Mexico. My buddy went to see you, and then him and I actually moved here together. Oh, right on. Back in 2004. So what brought you to Alaska? Uh,
1: My wife at the time was uh, going to UAA to get her master's in education. Uh, And we weren't married, but she was like, hey, I'm moving to Alaska, and you're welcome to come, so
0: here ever since everybody's got a story like that right, <laughs> right? are you still with her or?
1: no 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 we're not anymore um but still good friends and we still still chat and have kids together still here in alaska still here in alaska yeah, i love it up here it's amazing
0: so you were at valdez and then at some point you switched or right to anchorage or?
1: yeah uh valdez from 2007 through 2011 and then came to anchorage pd in 2011
0: Valdez seems to me a little kind of more maybe a little calmer
1: Yeah, it's a different pace. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. Uh, But I enjoyed my time there just uh, at the time we had just had a young kid and I was still relatively young and uh, was ready for sort of a different pace of law
0: enforcement wanted to do some different things. So when you moved to Anchorage, you had the job lined up? or you applied? You tra- had the job Transferred? Lined up. Or how does that work Yeah, with it's
1: called a lateral transfer. So uh, there's two types of police officers. The uh, application processes you can go through. It's the basic test, which is if you don't have any law enforcement experience. And then there's the lateral test, which is if you're already a state-certified law enforcement officer, it tends to be a quicker process to move between departments.
0: So 11, that was still when at the time when we were kind of pretty low uh, number of police officers. Right. Um, I think so... Berkowitz was elected in 15, and there's been some more officers since then. But there was a period of time where um, we were, I think, way below, right, where we should have, I guess, kind of should have been compared to the national. There's so many officers per population.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, My academy was the only academy in six years uh, for APD, and it happened to coincide depending on who you talk to coincidentally with mayor sullivan's reelection bid uh, but I was fortunate enough to get in under that academy and we got down to yeah 300 I think in 18 officers was our number then compared to the 440 or so we're at right now
0: so where should we you know based on the national I don't know if there's a standard I guess but where sh- are we are we where we need to be or do we need to have some more or kind of how, how are we looking
1: uh, we're we're in a really good spot. The the number four hundred and forty four something or four hundred forty five was actually a number that the Police Executive Research Forum identified as what Anchorage needed for the city its size and the sort of the the, the law enforcement that the community and the department wanted and expected, uh, and that allows the officers to have a specific amount of what we call unencumbered time where they're not just responding to calls for service, but they're actually out having, you know, proactive conversations Mm -hmm. with the community. They're able to focus on if it's traffic control, we've had complaints from citizens about a certain road that people are speeding on or certain loud parties at a park. We can, we can sort of go there and be proactive. That's kind of the community
0: policing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. So I remember I did a ride along probably five, four or five years ago. I was president of my community council for a couple of years, and then I was also uh, president of the Federation for Community Councils, okay. kind of the big the big group. And I did a ride-along, and I, I actually picked. I said, I want to do a Friday night, you know, because right. that's when I see some action. Yeah. And, you know, we go into the briefing. We got there at 9 or 10 p.m., and there was, like, a pre-shift briefing in the room. And uh, there was a few folks doing ride-along. There was a DA doing a ride-along and a few other people. And then we went out, and, and it was, like, every fucking call we had. It was, like, back to back to back to back. And the first one was some lady, it's, um, some kind of center. I don't know. There was some issue with, with, you know, and it was, she was really angry and then afterwards it was like they're doing the paperwork, you know, and then we go somewhere else and then we, you know, we get this one call and this is where I kind of like realize, wow, this is actually a real deal. This isn't like sit in the car and watch. Right. They put me you know, they put a vest on me and I was wearing like cargo pants and a you know, button up shirt. And we go to this house that somebody reported a fight in the, in the yard. We get there, another unit gets there and, The guy's like, yeah, just come on up. He's like, yeah, just kind of stand over there, like, on the side of the house. If it gets, like, crazy, just kind of, like, back up or something. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) So that guy, they opened the door finally, and they they eventually got in, the officers. And this this woman was in there, and it was clear they had been, like, arguing and fighting. It was obvious. And then we go in the house. I go in the house. And this guy, they run him, and he's felony DUI parole. So they call the probation officer, and they say, yeah, like, because he's been drinking. Right. You know, take him in. And then she, and she didn't call the neighbor called, right? So, but she's, obviously this guy's like beating her. Sure. And then she turns on the cops, fucking pigs, motherfuckers. And then she points at me and says, who's the fucking fed? Who's the fed? Because <laughs> of the way I was like, and I'm just like, uh, I'm not, I'm not a fed. I'm just <laughs> watching. And it was just, you know, it's like, wow, like this chick, they're trying to help her, you know, cause she's getting beat up by this guy. Right. And then he's pissed off. And then we did another one, several other kind of minor c- calls, and then we did the last one. It was, it was like in the morning and there was this dude's out party and music was loud at like six in the morning and, you know, a shirtless guys all tattooed and we get there with a few units and the other guy, the DA was the ride along guy and with another unit. And I mean, this guy, I thought someone was going to go down. It was so intense. Yeah. And then finally the guy's brother, they calmed him, you know, they like kind of, they stood down, but you know, it was like, it was Friday night obviously. So it's probably, I'd say maybe different than a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon.
1: Sometimes, yeah, um, definitely the weekends, especially the weekend uh, mid shifts, the midnight shifts mm-hmm. tend to be uh, a little bit more active, especially in summertime when people are been out and about all day. Um, but speaking of
0: like you said, you know, some t- more downtime, we, we we get back and I said, man, I'm tired, I'm, I'm taking off. You know, what about you? And he said, well, yeah, I got to do all this paperwork. Yeah, because yeah, we had you know probably eight nine calls I'd say calls that night. Yeah, it was really eye opening for me. Sure. Um, and is, is that could that always be the case, or even during the day, or does it really depend on?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we have uh, a very busy call load here uh, in Anchorage, and because uh, we respond to just about anything and everything uh, that somebody calls us for. Uh, and even a lot of medical assists. Uh, we assist uh, the fire department quite a bit on medical calls, on fire calls. So we stay very busy and our st- our shifts are staggered where we do three 10-hour shifts per day. In the last two hours, the idea behind that is when the new shift comes on, they start handling the calls. Mm-hmm. And then the officers who are coming off, they've got those two hours to come back to the station, write their police reports, enter all the evidence in, package it all properly, uh, maybe get something to eat if they hadn't had a chance to eat during their shift and then go home and get ready to do it again the next day.
0: So one of the things I wanted to ask you is I know some, some friends of friends and one, you know, I know a few police officers that are kind of acquaintances or friend you know, buddies of buddies. Sure. Um, and this is one thing I told Bill about. Um, I grew up in New Mexico, moved moved here in 04. And I think generally in, in the United States, people are um, not thrilled or not excited to interact with police. Right. Um, Especially when they're behind you, it's like, damn, you know. You, like, I still maybe, hate maybe, that feeling. Maybe, maybe I was going to say, do you have that, like, if <laughs> yes. you're just driving in your personal car, absolutely, you know, I they're do. behind you, they're next to you, and you're like, am, 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 yeah. Am, do I, I look at Do I not am look at On the phone? Him? Am, 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 <laughs> am I driving straight? Am I speeding? Am I, am I turning lanes? Am I? Yeah. You know, everybody so
1: everybody worries about that, I think.
0: So th- that's just you know probably something that's getting pulled over. Mm-hmm. But but even as a kid, I remember I you know I, in New Mexico we had these these DUI checkpoints, and I went through them a couple you know high school and wasn't drinking, but right. it was always like I just always kind of. Maybe it goes, you know, both ways because of who they're dealing with. But I just always felt like, oh man, I don't want to. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous with these guys. You know, mm-hmm. um, do, do, I mean, do you see that? Is that something you experience? I mean, is it, well, how can we, how can we improve that?
1: Sure. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think you're exactly right. People tend to generally be nervous when they're dealing with any sort of authority figure. Right. When you look at your kids and they interact with their teacher, they get called to the principal's office. I think we all remember that feeling. Right. Or or folks who aren't in law enforcement, but they have a boss and they get summons to their boss's office. Right. There's a little bit of anxiety that goes along with that. Uh, And I think it's natural that when you have that contact with the police officers, uh, that that same level of anxiety is there. And like I said, I'm not immune to that. I I don't think there's a cop out there that when they're in their personal vehicle, sees cops behind them and they're not like, they do the same thing, right? They're like seatbelt, hands, speed limit, (laughs) everybody's good, right? Like that's just natural. I think that's just a human response to an authority figure. Uh, But I think that APD especially, I think our officers, we we spend a lot of time training our officers in de-escalation tactics to immediately get there and establish the fact that we're here and we're in charge. Uh, but like we're reasonable human beings and we're going to listen to what you have to say and we're going to engage in a conversation with you. It's not going to be an authoritarian, do what I say, do it right now. I mean, sometimes it will be if that's what is required. But uh, the preference in, in the initial contact is always going to be recognizing that there's that anxiety and and working the officers taking it upon themselves to try and ease that a little bit uh, and explain why they're there, what they're planning to do, why things are happening the way they're happening. Because then I think that once you relieve the anxiety and people start to understand and expect um, certain things from the officers and and know what they're going to do, then the the conversation then tends to be a lot less uh, uh, centered on conflict and a lot more centered on Productivity,
0: and I've always I've always kind of said you know you see some of these videos or these interactions where some somebody's being uh, unreasonable or um, combative, Mm -hmm. and I've always kind of said and thought you know if if you just be cool and reasonable and comply, it shouldn't you know escalate. But I also see the side of somebody who's maybe had a ton of negative interactions, right? Maybe they're just you know the stop and frisk, for example. You know some of these the stories of people that have gotten stopped, you know, hundred times or something, over the years in New York, and they, they just get. If it was me, I'd probably get. At some point maybe I'd snap or I'd get sick of it too, and
1: yeah and that's completely understandable and I think that that is why it's so important for the officers to explain what they're doing and to uh to be willing to hear someone out sometimes you get to a call and someone just wants to yell at you like, okay cut you know get everything off your chest vent about what's going on about your neighbor about your relationship or the car accident or whatever it is and that's why we teach our officers and we stress how important it is that like Sometimes people are just going to do that, right? They're going to blow up a little bit on you. Give them a chance to vent. Explain what you're doing. Tell them the why is what we teach our officers, right? Nobody likes to be told to do something just for the sake of doing it. People oftentimes though don't mind complying when you explain the rationale behind why you're mm-hmm. telling
0: them to do something. So there, I've read some articles and, and there's been some uh, comparisons to kind of training, police training in the United States compared to uh, other countries where right. some in Europe they have you know much longer training. Do we? Do you think we have in Anchorage and then you know kind of in general in this country sufficient? Training? Because what's an academy? Is it, is it how many, 20? It's
1: just, yeah, it's just about 950 hours uh, of training that our officers go through here, which is uh, a little over 300 hours more than what the state, the Alaska mm-hmm. Police Standards Council requires uh, and is on par with sort of the, the, the longer academies around the country. So, yeah, I I do. I think we have a very robust training program here. Uh, What I'll also say, though, is that I think more training is always better, right? Uh, I think one area specifically in which we could probably, as a department, uh, do better is in our continuing training. Uh, We have a great upfront training, and then we, but you know, unfortunately, we went through a time where we didn't have a lot of officers. And so, when you don't have a lot of officers, everybody's working the street. And they're working a lot of overtime, and training sort of gets moved uh, to the to the back burner. Now that we're building up again, uh, our officers we're seeing more and more time and focus on that continuing sort of continuing education training. We established an in service training unit. It's three full time officers, and their entire job is continuing training for all of our sworn folks to make sure that not only are we teaching you best practices when you come into the department, but we're continuing to teach those best practices, mm-hmm. and also recognizing that the best practices may change over time and we have to adapt to that.
0: So I was going to ask you about this. Obviously this George Floyd situation has been, sure. in, you know, in the news for last month. Um, you know, I've seen other videos and obviously video, sometimes you don't see the whole thing, right? But you do see the part where it seems like sometimes when somebody's restrained with handcuffs, I mean, if I'm handcuffed, I'm not probably going anywhere. Maybe I will, but I'm not going far. Sure. Um, sure. How does it work? Like what's the training when somebody's actually restrained, if they're being combative or, or not, you know, complying, when they're handcuffed, it seems to me that's that kind of should that should deescalate, shouldn't it?
1: Yeah, ideally. I mean, that's the idea, and 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 I'll say very clearly the the actions of Officer Chauvin or former Officer Chauvin on top of George Floyd were, I mean, they're despicable. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no scenario, there is no training out there that I'm aware of in which that would be an appropriate response. Uh, and, and fortunately, we make that crystal clear to our officers here uh, that, that that's not acceptable. But I will also say that folks in handcuffs, I've fought some people in handcuffs who surprisingly put up a really good fight, even though they're in handcuffs. Uh, when you interact with people uh, who are on a combination of narcotics especially, uh, we don't know, and sometimes they don't even know, the amount of strength that they have, right? And they lose the ability to uh, understand pain, they become incredibly flexible, uh, and they become like uh, superhuman strength. We uh, One call that comes to mind uh, was a call, it was in two thousand. 2012, 2013. It was myself and two other officers, and we were at uh, a house um, in Penland Parkway. Uh, in a trailer i should say and we ended up having to arrest I think she was like 22 years old and wasn't a large female she maybe 130 140 pounds and i'm about 180 and i'm in okay shape and there were two other no, officers
0: you look pretty, there. You look pretty fit for from, from <laughs>
1: thanks and there were two other officers there that were like me and it was everything we could do to get this girl into handcuffs uh because she was under the influence of PCP at the time she had that's a that's a bad one the that's PCP. a bad <laughs> <one>. that, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the bad. Good people
0: that we're like uh yeah superhumanly like
1: and said. she I mean one of us had an The other one had another arm and she walked up the wall uh, and like jumped off the wall backwards. And I've never seen shoulders spin like like that before. Yeah, exactly. And we got her on the ground and she was still kicking, uh, handcuffed while on the ground, so much so that she was lifting all three of us up off the ground. And so for the most part, you're exactly right. The idea behind putting someone in handcuffs and putting their hands behind their backs is that. The situation should calm down at that point, right? The resistance should stop, and the police officer's reaction to that should be appropriate. Uh, and, and but there are folks out there sometimes when you get restraints on them, doesn't mean that the fight's over. Mm-hmm.
0: So so the other thing now, it's obviously this kind of defund the police idea, which it's funny. I, I told Bill I saw, saw Bill Maher, you know, a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. and he said you know more, more like the idea of more social workers and more mental health professionals and and more uh, folks who are trained to deal with some of these disturb people. Great idea. I think nobody would say that's a bad idea. Right. But then, but then these people call it defund the police, you know, which doesn't, you know, it's just a term that it's kind of taken off, but I think most people disagree with that idea of defunding the police. But I wanted to ask you about, um, the idea of, of, like I said, more social workers or mental health professionals. Cause I, I, when I was on my ride along, a lot of the folks we interacted with appeared to be mentally unstable or had some, some mental health issues. Yeah. Uh, how much of that do you see, and and do you have right now? Do you feel like there is the resources, or is it is it difficult? Because a lot of you guys get calls, and you have to and you have to respond. Right, to the per- first person so, normally some something's wrong. The first person you call is the police. Exactly. Even if it's a mental health, maybe not necessarily a dangerous thing at the time, but it could you know escalate.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, we we do have uh, it's called the mobile intervention team. Uh, And it is uh, an officer. She is a CIT, so a critical incident uh, officer. She's responsible for sort of being the liaison between these social workers and routing those types of calls as much as we possibly can to these social workers to get these people the help that they actually need. You're right that our our line level, our patrol officers, while they're trained to enforce the law and they're trained in de-escalation and the defensive tactics and emerging vehicle operations and all of the things, uh, we're not mental health professionals uh we are not social workers and we don't necessarily always have the access uh or the answers to some of the problems that these folks are facing especially when they're in that acute mental crisis uh and when an officer shows up on scene we have two options right we can leave or we can put you in handcuffs and take you with us uh and the community oftentimes when they call us uh for something like that they're not okay if we just walk away yeah i I did don't solve the problem
0: i did a podcast uh this was probably last year it was with a, a psychiatric nurse mm-hmm. and we talked about um the idea of in this country in, in our kind of society other state other countries have have these um what did she call them basically these triage centers for mental health yeah so right now if you and she kind of gave this example of of i told her a story because um, she said when you're when you're on drugs you know the world's appearing t- totally different to you right and I told her the story where when I was like 20 or 21, I went home and this guy, with, my buddy was there with his friend and they cooked some brownies and he was going like, some brownies? And I said, sure. So I had a few and we're playing like Monopoly and I started to feel like, what the fuck is wrong with me? You know, right. and there was pot in the brownies, you know, I didn't know this, but you're, you're sitting there just feeling like confused and ner- like, why do I feel this way? Right. And you know, she was saying, well, imagine if at that point, you know, cause a lot of times mental health manifests like that. You just don't, you're schizophrenia or something's going on. You don't understand it. And she goes, imagine if at that point the police showed up. All right. And it's a good, you know, good, good point. Absolutely. I, I might lose it. And she was saying the idea of like mental health triage centers where instead of going to the you know hospital right away to the police station, go somewhere where it's like it's safe and it's not a, a, a dangerous or a threatening place and kind of figure out what this person actually needs. Yeah. We don't have that here.
1: We don't. Uh, and we are in desperate need of it. Uh, and, and, I know it's controversial. The assembly has been here in public testimony, but on those four pr- yeah, uh, properties been,
0: last couple days been dominated. By yeah. That.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that is my understanding to use some of the funds, the proceeds from the alcohol tax, if they're able to purchase those properties to begin the process of setting one of those properties up sort of as one of those, uh, acute mental crisis, those triage centers that, that we are so desperately in need of. So,
0: so right now, if you get a call and there's a person, you know, we've seen, we've all seen downtown or anywhere, just people screaming and going nuts and maybe threatening people, you get a call, you end up there, what what happens? I mean, if if the person's being threatening and combative and mentally ill, what do you – do you arrest them? Do they do they go to the hospital? What what kind of happens in that, in that situation?
1: So there's a, a statute. It's called Title 47. Uh, and it is a statute that gives, among other professions, police officers, the authority to detain someone if they are a threat to themselves, a threat to somebody else, or unable to care for themselves, uh, and to transport them to a facility where they can get a mental health evaluation. The problem is... Here in Alaska, in Anchorage, uh, and in the state as a whole, we don't have those triage centers. We have Prov Psych, uh, which is limited in its capacity. Uh, We have A&MC, and we have ARH, both of which are even significantly more limited in their capacity to deal with folks who are in acute mental health crisis.
0: Is API, is that kind of what So
1: API, uh, you can't go to API off of, from a off of the street. You have to go through uh, the process of going to court and having a judge weigh in and having mental health professionals, some sort of uh, recommendation that you go to API. We as the Anchorage police department can't transport somebody directly to API. So
0: it's hard to, if you encounter a mentally ill person, it's hard to get them.
1: It is. It's incredibly out. difficult. And unfortunately what that means is they end up uh, at the jail because the jail per statute is an authorized mental health mm-hmm. uh, provider for uh, title forty seven, and it's sad that in Alaska, the Department of Corrections is the largest mental health provider. I but don't you, think that's going right. Going back to my story, and
0: <laughs> that situation where I was like kind of drugged or whatever, You know, if I were to end up in the jail, I'd, it's probably the worst place to put somebody. Absolutely,
1: like that. the worst place. Yeah, no doubt about it.
0: Wow. So this idea of, of kind of def- defund the police. I mean, do, do you kind of? I, mean, I understand why some people are frustrated. You know, especially in certain parts of the you know, policing in certain cities have had more. I think in Anchorage, we, we don't really have those kind of problems you see in other other in New York or Oakland, LA. Um, I guess what what are your thoughts about the kind of the we talked about earlier about the interaction with police and some, right. some, some members of the public. Um, do you understand kind of the frustration from the public and, and how do we you know, what do we do to improve that and, and not have, you know, people scream and defund the police, which I think if if I'm in trouble and somebody's in danger when I call the police, I want someone to pick up immediately. Sure, and right. get, get out there. I think we all want that,
1: right? Yeah, and 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 I do. I understand the frustration. Um, I, I can't obviously say that I have experienced the same frustration as somebody you know who grew up in a different circumstance than me or somebody who's a different race than me or a different gender, but I can understand. From the outside, the frustration with that, that that's got to be a terribly helpless feeling. I think you're right here in Anchorage. Um, we have a, a strong relationship with our community. And I think a lot of that is due to uh, the sort of the, the high level of standards that we have for officers that we hire here. The expectations that our community has for our police department. Uh, and I think that we are uh, willing uh, to engage in conversations with our public that are sometimes difficult and hard to have. Now, again, like I said earlier, nobody likes being told they did anything wrong, right? Like, hmm. it's not necessarily a comfortable situation to have members of our community tell us what we're doing is, is wrong or inappropriate. We don't necessarily like that, but it's important.
0: One of the things I talked about with, with Bill Evans, and I've generally kind of spoken about, um, I've, you know, I've spent time in many countries. I lived in Australia for almost a year. I've been to, you know, the Russia, all these countries in Europe, um, mm-hmm. Central Asia. Uh, in this country, we have this unique kind of gun issue. Yeah, where other countries don't really have it. There's guns in Australia, but they're 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 pretty rare, and and police are almost never encountering somebody who's like shooting at them. In this country, when you pull somebody over, when you interact with somebody, in your mind, are you always kind of no matter who it is? Do you, especially in Alaska, do you think maybe they have a gun? Is yeah. that something that you kind of. Like in your psyche when you're dealing, dealing with the public?
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to, right? You have to always be prepared. At the end of the day, the most important thing that we teach our cops when they start at the department is you've got to go home, right? Like you've got to be safe. Uh, and, and we want to train you and equip you and prepare you for that encounter when somebody tries to hurt you or someone tries to kill you. So you always have sort of in the back of your mind the recognition that... This could be the traffic stop. It's a huge unknown, right? We're walking out of our car where we're safe and we're in control on the side of a road to a car with it. Sometimes we can't see into, we don't know how many people are in there and maybe we just stopped that car for a turn signal violation or for running a stop sign, but maybe the person in that car just killed someone, right? Maybe they just robbed a bank. Maybe They have warrants and they know that and they don't want to go back to jail, Uh, but we don't know any of that. So you certainly have to, in the back of your mind as a police officer, be prepared to sort of flip that switch when need be. But that cannot be the attitude that is front and center when you're dealing Mm -hmm. with the public because the overwhelming majority of the public that we come into contact with, they are uh, not going to try and kill us, right? They're not going to try and hurt us. They are just people who uh, either are having a really bad day, made some really poor choices, uh, or need our help. And that is by far the overwhelming majority. So while that plan is back there, uh, that cannot be the way that we interact with the public. It can't
0: be from that standpoint. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of the the use of force. Um, There was an example we talked about before the the podcast. Uh, I guess it was six years ago, five, six years ago, there was a a guy in Mountain View, his shirt was off. Yep. He had a stick. Yes. And there was... You were there, you said, right?
1: I was, yeah. It was actually 2000... I think it was 2012. It's been a few years. It was in uh, Mountain View's uh, uh, Mr. Tossie, Shane Tossie. Mm-hmm. So,
0: if if I remember correctly, he had a stick. His shirt was off. Right. Um, he was... Obviously, I think he was on something. It was crazy. Uh, he ended up getting shot. Yes. And killed. In that case, I mean, this is me asking kind of the, the question here. If someone's got a stick, I mean, is there... Any other, I mean, it seems to me if somebody got a stick, I could, I could, if They don't have a gun or a knife, I, I might be able to stop them without, right. without a gun. Talk a little bit about use of force and, and then when you do pull the gun, people have said kind of, well, just shoot to harm or something, but that's right. not, that's not really the training. Is that correct?
1: You're exactly right. That is not the training. Um, so, yeah, so stick is is the term that was used to describe what Mr. Tossie had. Uh, but a stick could be anything, right? It could be uh, a two-inch branch from a tree. Uh, it could be, you know, a, a twig. I mean, I, I don't know what the definition of a stick is. I'll tell you what Mr. Tossie had was, uh, I think we all know what those big industrial push brooms look like. Yeah. He had the stick, the handle of that. So it was, you know, four and a half, five feet long, solid wood, dowel, I think is a more appropriate term. Uh, Uh, and you're right. Yeah. Uh, Uh, and he had been, we had gotten several 911 calls about him from his family, from his neighbors. Uh, he had, uh, he was on, uh, a concoction. It's going back in my memory a long time. I want to say spice was involved or some sort of synthetic marijuana, uh, had actually taken the refrigerator in his house, turned it upside down. I mean, that's, that's a significant level of strength. He was a very large, uh, large man. Uh, and he came out of the house and approached the officer, uh, did not comply with the officer's commands to stop and stop approaching him. And at that point in time, uh, the officer has to resolve the situation. Uh, and the officer has to take into account, okay, if I get hit with that stick and he's able to overpower me, um, the officer who ended up firing was not any way, shape or form comparable in size to Mr. Tossie. Uh, and, 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 Tossie gets a hold of my gun. What happens then? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And that, that's sort of got to be the mindset of the officer. And also that officer was in fear. He was in fear of being seriously physically injured by that stick. If you hit someone upside the head with a solid wooden dowel enough times, you're going to kill him.
0: So, so in these situations, there's like the, the less than lethal, you know, there's a taser, right. Um, I don't know if you guys use the beanbags.
1: We don't because... Uh, that seems like seen, it would fucking hurt. Yeah, know? and we've seen enough uh, injuries that have been where beanbags are going in through people's eyes and they're actually killing people or they're uh, turning and instead of hitting somebody flat, uh, they're spinning almost like a ninja star and they're cutting through skin, going through rib cages, puncturing lungs, puncturing hearts. They're just dangerous enough that we don't deploy with those what, anymore.
0: What about, and this, this might sound like a dumb Question, but you know, you see those those animal nets. You shoot at some yeah. animal, and just boom, they're just they're down. Yeah, that I've a, seen those. Is that something? I mean, is that?
1: Yeah, you know, I've never seen one. Like, I've never seen one be transitioned to be used in law enforcement. Because if you, you, if if you miss, you're kind of screwed. You know? Yeah, like like anything else. Um, but at the end of the day, even if that officer had had any of those things at his disposal right then and there, that call the the law still says that it's objectively reasonable for that officer to use deadly force when he's faced with a threat such as what Mr. Tossi presented to him. So even if even if he had a net or a taser or some sort of less lethal, that's not the time for less lethal. That's the time for lethal force, unfortunately. And, and no officer gets into this job hoping that that's how the call ends. But again, the the duty that we have to the public to keep the public safe, the duty that we have to keep ourselves safe, uh, that, that sort of trumps it when a suspect makes those types of
0: decisions. I guess the other issue that you've, I'm sure you've been following, um, the, oh, forget the name that was in February, the, the kid that was unfortunately killed who pulled the gun out and shot the,
1: yes, the, when he shot our officer, yeah. uh, outside of, uh, F- fantasies on fifth.
0: Yeah. Yep. Like three and four in the morning. Yes. So now this has kind of been come in the office of special prosecutions found the officer acted, um, within his, you know, within the bounds of force. Right. He was, I mean, he shot the guy in the, hit him in the vest luckily. Right. Um, but now there's this whole new kind of thing where the, the family's been coming to the assembly several times and, you know, calling it police brutality. And it's it's – they've been in several assembly meetings and, and the mom and members of the family and friends. Um, it just seems to me in that case it's a horrible thing. I, I I don't want anybody to get killed. Right. But, you know, it's like you you pull out a gun and you shoot an officer or anybody really. I, I think it's probably – that one seems to me such a kind of example of, look, this is horrible, but, you know, you guy's got a gun. He's shooting cops.
1: I think you're exactly right. Yeah, nobody wants to kill anyone. Nobody wa- certainly wants to kill a 16-year-old, right? Uh, as a terrible circumstances, terrible call all the way around.
0: There was other people in the car, too. There
1: was three other people in the car. Uh, but you're right. Uh, I, I mean, if you pull a gun on a police officer and you shoot him or her, what what option does that officer have at that point in time? It just strictly becomes about survival, right? They, they want to live, and they want to go home. Uh, and unfortunately, that resulted in the loss of that young man's life, but... Have you, ever had a,
0: have you ever had to draw your weapon? Oh, yeah,
1: I have. I have. I spent several years on SWAT uh, and, and several more years on patrol. Uh, fortunately, I've never had to uh, shoot anybody, but uh, hundreds of occasions where I've so, had to deploy it.
0: So I, I assume when you, it's like, like anything, whether you're a police officer, or just a person with a gun with training, you only draw when you're ready to use, right? That's It's not really a de escalation tactic. It's This is going to. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to fire here.
1: Right, yeah, certainly not a de-escalation tactic. Well, I don't know that anybody... That's an escalation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an escalation. Tactic. Um, yeah, but you're exactly right. Under the circumstances, it needs to be uh, objectively reasonable, right? That's the word that the Supreme Court has said how they are going to look at police use of force. And pointing your gun at someone is a use of force, right? We're showing force at that point in time. Um, so, yeah, under the circumstances, it has to be reasonable that the officer thinks that this could either rise to the level of deadly force or it's already at the level of deadly force and it just may not be at the moment to pull the trigger right then and there.
0: Why Why is it that uh, you hear people say, what about, you know, shoot to, shoot to harm or shoot to um, injure? Why, why isn't – I know sometimes people say if they're hopped up on something, they won't even feel it maybe. Right. Um, if you would shoot to harm, I guess it's the arm or the leg – Why doesn't that? Why isn't that a thing?
1: Right. So the biggest reason uh, is that when we are at the point where we have to shoot, we have to shoot to stop the threat, and we have to stop the threat as uh, quickly as we possibly can. The uh, if you're holding a gun in your right arm and I shoot you and I hit you in your right leg or your right or your left shoulder or your left leg or whatever the case may be or even your right arm, uh, you're still not going to be out of the fight. That is not going to stop the threat. Uh, Additionally, hit rates in those uh, accuracy, I should say, in those types of circumstances for police officers is very low. The FBI has done a study, and it's in the neighborhood of thirty some percent Uh, And so what we teach, because there is such an intense physiological reaction, there is an SNS activation that goes on inside the officer when they are faced with a threat like that, uh, that they are unable, one of the first things they lose is fine motor skill. Uh, And that fine motor skill is bringing your gun up, Focusing on your front sight and really shooting calmly and accurately, like you do when you're on the range or when you're mm-hmm. w- when you're hunting. Even sometimes people feel that SNS activation when they see a large animal and they get excited about it, and suddenly they're shaking. Well, the same thing happens just on a much larger well, scale. I've, mean, I've been there, and the, you
0: know, I've c- 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 come across a bear. Yeah, and it's fucking scary.
1: Exactly, and yeah. that's your SNS, that's your sympathetic nervous system reacting and saying, "Hey, man, that's dangerous. Like you need to make a decision right now. I'm going to shut down everything else that doesn't matter inside of you, and I'm going to do all." this subconsciously for you because you need to decide if you're going to fight or flight right now. Well, we can't flight at that point in time. We, we, as police officers, we have to fight at that point in time. And so we teach to shoot center mass of the largest target available because we know that that is likely going to be some sort of torso. Uh, and if all we can see is a shoulder, well, then we have to shoot for the shoulder. Uh, but likely it's going to be some sort of torso where we can impact major body functions and stop the threat as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, so that is why our officers are taught to shoot, quote, center mass, and not taught to shoot to wound, uh, you know, in an arm or a leg or something like that.
0: So other thing I wanted to talk about is um, the kind of— over the last several decades, the kind of militarization of the police. We had these MRAP mm-hmm. troop carrier things that surplus from the Pentagon, and we got, you know, the AR-15s and some of the gear, and sometimes you see the officers and not so much Anchorage one, once in a while, but, you know, you, you see... I think we have an MRAP, don't we? Uh,
1: we don't. We have what's called a BEAR. It's a Lenko BEAR. It's a, uh, it's an armored vehicle. It's 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 similar to an MRAP, but it was not... It's always been designed for civilian I've, law Yeah, I've seen it
0: once it. at, like, one of the... There was an APD event, and I yep. saw it there. And yeah. It just looks like... You see it, it looks like military type.
1: It's imposing. There's no doubt about it. Yeah.
0: So I know this is, goes, goes back to the seventies and really eighties, I guess. And there was a big wave of crime and actually went down in the nineties. Uh, the the crime has been down, you know, for the last 30 years mm-hmm. in this country. But um, what what are your thoughts about the kind of the, the military, I guess called militarization. And do you see how sometimes when police start looking like military, it, it changes how people see them, review them.
1: Certainly. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I think that uh, it's the same uh, I think argument that you've seen with school resource officers, where around the country we've seen school resource officers stop wearing a police uniform to school, and now they wear a polo shirt, right, and, and khakis to school. When I was in
0: high school. We, we in New Mexico, I went to high school, and we had the school resource officers. Yeah, they wore they wore a, a suit, you know, jacket or right. shirt and tie. And yep, and it was they the, had the gun. I mean, you, you knew they were a cop, but sure. you didn't feel maybe uh, as apprehensive or nervous right. around them. It's
1: different when, when like right
0: now you're, you're you're wearing a you know nice shirt and. Get your badge and everything, but right. you look like very unimposing. Business, business casual.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so it, the same transfers over to when you uh, when you see that level of equipment uh, or that the officers outfitted like that. Certainly, it's understandable that the public is going to react differently to that than they do to a, a patrol officer in a patrol uniform or to someone like me who's dressed in a shirt and pants with a gun and badge on. Uh, but what I'll say is that that equipment. Uh, you know the uh, civilian law enforcement has changed our as our society has changed over the years and we have unfortunately seen uh, events unfold across the country where for, uh, people have, Brought, got access to improvised explosive devices, automatic weapons, uh, and they have gone out. And you go all the way back to the North Hollywood shooting uh, in the one LAPD. They had, that's
0: they went, when they had to go to the uh, gun store. They, and, the and cops
1: have. were yeah, going into the gun store because they had nothing to deal with the suspect's threats. And so that's really what sort of opened our eyes to, okay, we have to be prepared for this. And so I understand certainly that we have to be very judicious in when we deploy with that equipment uh, because we have to be cognizant of the fact that how the public's going to respond to that but our society demands that our law enforcement can solve those types of problems those problems when we have people with explosive devices and we have suspects with automatic weapons and we need to be able to do that in the safest way possible and that equipment is the best equipment out there for us to be able to do that
0: um i want to ask you In 2012 a friend of mine was shot and killed saeed Bashirov on halloween I'm not sure if you remember that one. I it do was, at the uh, LED, right? Jacks. Well, oh, yeah, Platinum outside, Jacks. I'm yeah. sorry, and then
1: became LED. Yes. And, and,
0: and what, what I remember at the time was I moved to 04 and I turned 21 and I guess 06. So I, I'd gone downtown a lot. You know, sure. I'd, I worked downtown. I worked at Platinum Jacks when they first opened. Um, go out with friends, and and there used to be a time before this, and I recalled seeing that often was the police kind of beat patrol, the guys walking around downtown, right? And that stopped at some point. I guess probably due to the low number of officers. And, and it just always bothered me that, that night when that happened and I was there, I didn't see it happen. I was down a little bit. I came back, you know, I it was like the melee was happening and he was down and I, I, you know, I remember trying to revive him and it was right. like the blood just every, you know, just every time you do a compression
1: comes out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But what just really bothers me about that night is I wish if there would have been a police car there, just parked there even or some, right. you know, cause there was a lot of people outside. It was like, kick him out of the bar at two Um, I doubt the guy would have, would have done that. You know, right. would have yeah. It's enough up. of a deterrent, right? Or, or they would have got him. You know, sure. It took a long time. It took a year to get him and then a trial and everything. So that's kind of the community, almost policing. We were talking, I mean, you're there, you're walking around, you're not in the cruiser. Um, I, I think that I kind of started, I don't go downtown as much, but are we doing that now? Is that something we're...
1: We are, yeah. So uh, we have a whole, uh, our Midship Patrol has a, a plan essentially that they've been doing for several years uh, for bar break for that exact reason. I, you know, I don't remember specifically when it started tied to that incident, but we do have a large presence of police that are in the downtown area now uh, when, because we're cognizant of the fact that at two, three in the morning, uh, when you kick hundreds, sometimes thousands of people Mm -hmm. out of bars and everybody's been having a good time and drinking that sometimes poor decisions are going to result from that. Uh, so yeah, we we do uh, really focus on having the resources available because we want to be able to deter that. Right? All we want is people to go out, have a good time, and then go
0: home safely. I think I'm, you know, in the case of my friend, I mean the, the presence that the presence would have been sure uh, probably enough to.
1: Yeah, you're right. And there's studies out there that show uh, when cops do foot patrol like that, or when they when they park in an area, that it's got about a 15 minute window of deterrence on crime. Uh, and so that's the that's sort of the model that we base how we patrol and how often we patrol, right? You want to keep trying to kind of show in your presence and letting people know that the police are there, they're around. It increases the feel of safety, but it also goes uh, a long way towards deterring folks who are thinking about doing something, uh, you know, that's illegal.
0: So the mayor and Chief Dahl and Deputy Chief, oh, I forget his name. McCoy. McCoy. Yes. Uh, They've done some events, some some kind of Facebook Live um, town hall things. Um, You know, where do you see um, this issue? Do Do you see it? kind of lasting and do you see any changes happening in the department doing we, do we need changes um I, I guess maybe address kind of some of this recent engagement from the mayor and the and the chief and and you're in a different kind of position because you're with the police union so you can you can talk to me i, I think the average i assume the average officer can't has probably has to go through mj tim tim right yeah i have a
1: little bit more freedom yeah. to have these types of conversations that's accurate uh yeah MJ's no-
0: the, the communications person and MJ sometimes is, i've had right. frustrations trying to get um Information from the police, whether it's a story you're working on or something happened or, you know, most times you do a FOIA with some department government agency and sometimes it takes a while, but generally you get what you want and it's kind of. The police, there's the forms and there's other stuff, and it's kind of it's a lot more cumbersome to try to get information from the police.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, no, I do have the ability to speak uh, a little bit more freely, and I can often respond a little quicker. So I'll just put it out to you that you've got myself. Phone. phone. you got my number, email. No, so. Never hesitate to reach out. I'm always happy to have the conversation uh, and, and 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 to talk through things whenever I can. But yeah, I think that. Um, I don't think this is an issue that is likely going to be fleeting. I I think that as we've seen around the country, New York, Colorado, Minnesota, they've already, their state legislatures have already passed uh, significant uh, or made some significant changes through legislation to the uh, way that police officers use force to body camera requirements. Uh, everything all across the board. And, and we've, we've seen that here. We, uh, assembly members Zalatel introduced an ordinance on Tuesday night, uh, to codify some of the limitations of things, uh, forced that, that, The assembly or at least that assembly member doesn't want to see us using anymore Uh, and and so I do think that this is going to be an ongoing conversation I think with these sorts of things though it's vitally important that that conversation uh, happen with everybody involved right Right. like I'm happy to be a part of the conversation I know Justin Chief Dahl is happy to be a part of the conversation Um, and and what I don't want is to see an emotional response or, or legislation or ordinances that come through that aren't based on reason and that don't come from an education viewpoint
0: one of the things that's been talked about a lot in national shows and um, you know podcasts and, and stuff on the the qualified immunity yes and, and this is basically the uh, law I guess or the protection for if, if you're you know an officer and, and you use force you have the qualified to, to me I think there, there has to be some level of that because if there was none of that you might be scared to use your weapon or defend yourself uh, but at the same time I think folks can kind of Get frustrated when they say, "Well, you know, qualified immunity, I, I, I'm, I'm can't do anything." Um, is that something you guys deal with a lot? I mean, are you trained? Is that something you're you talk about? Or is- we do
1: absolutely, and and so there's kind of two prongs to qualified immunity. The first prong, which I mean, in my personal opinion is, I think it's probably gone a little farther than anyone ever intended it to go, and I think it's been a little bit overused. Is uh, the hey, if we didn't tell you government to police officer that what you're doing is illegal, well then that's our bad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that one's probably gone a little too far.
0: Because you have to basically say if you if, you, if you're if you in danger, right? If you feel you're in danger, is that kind of where it-
1: That's the legal threshold for use of force, right? There has to be the fear of serious physical injury death uh, or f- serious physical injury or death to another person, right? That you have to see as an officer. But the other side of qualified immunity is if you as a police officer um, or any government agent, you do your job, how you were trained and equipped to do your job, you do it within policy you do it ethically and you do it legally, then your employer, the government, is going to indemnify you. So you can't be held uh, independently yeah. responsible in a civil claim. And that part, I think you're right. that That's vitally important to police officers and to the job that we do because... Uh, w- you know, if if law enforcement in and of itself, if that job becomes so untenable, right? And, and I think removing that prong of qualified immunity would would go a long ways towards making this job that level of untenable. You're not going to see qualified and educated professionals well, I just enter saw in the, the profession.
0: Article: uh, There's so many officers retiring in New York City; they're having to right. tell them to kind of hold off because right. of. It's stressing the pension.
1: Right, exactly. And, and it's stressing their ability to staff. And and so if if the job is set up to attract only people who are entering the job for the wrong reasons, right, uh, then it's sort of a catch-22. You're going to end up getting what you're afraid of, and, and that is authoritarian police who don't respect the rule of law, don't respect civil rights, and that's not what any of us want. Uh, and, and, and But when you impede so far upon the rights of officers is to make that mm-hmm. job. Who in their right mind would want to go do that?
0: What, what about the, the? We hear this a lot about you know. It, there, there's, there's you know most cops are good. I think we all agree with, agree with that. There are can be like anything bad cops. Yeah. Um, and there's there's this there's this discussion about sometimes the the good cops might cover for or defend or, um, not 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 call out the bad cop. Do you see Do you see that? I mean, like if you saw, a cop say something really. Racist, for example, or horrible, or I know, like any job, you know, you don't want to be the guy ratting on somebody. Nobody, my dad used to always tell me, no one likes a rat. <laughs> so, I mean, we all, we have no one, unless unless, unless you are a Karen, I guess. you know, <laughs> some, some of them like it, but I mean, describe the culture, I guess, of if you see a fellow officer doing something really bad, yeah. Um, if you are the guy who tell or the g- g- woman who turns him in, do you get is there backlash against you for? Like that video with the the George Floyd guy. I'm watching. I'm like, why doesn't one of them say something? Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, I said the same thing. Uh, Why is is one of these guys not pulling this guy off of Mr. Floyd? Uh, You know, I even take it further. I think that those officers had a duty to physically remove former officer Chauvin from his back. Because, again, anyone watching that video, you know, like we talked about, there's always more to the story than a video. But. I just don't know how you could ever convince Mm -hmm. anyone that what's going on right there is okay. But to get to your question, uh, I'll tell you the culture at APD is uh, that there is nothing more uh, that good cops hate than bad cops. Uh, because bad cops uh, make all of our lives worse and, and they are a stain on our uniform and on our badge and we take that very seriously we take the oath that we uh, uh, that we that we took when we became police officers very seriously and part of that oath is uh, the recognition of the fact that you are going to have to intervene if you see something inappropriate you're required to by policy uh, and that is the culture of our department so there is no backlash for it uh, there is an expectation uh, for it and if you you don't intervene and if you don't report behavior that's inappropriate you will actually get disciplined and or terminated for it and you potentially could be criminally prosecuted uh so we we just can't have that it's unacceptable
0: it seems maybe to me Anchorage is you know in a much better spot than others you know we've we've all heard stories going back a long right. long to LAPD or oh yeah and yeah. you know New York New York Poli- like people covering up or you, know, you got bad cops and you know, nobody wants to turn them in but i think it right. seems like here um That doesn't seem to be.
1: No, uh, that's I've never been. I've never witnessed that culture here. Uh, And that's not to say we're perfect. Uh, There's there's probably a ton of things we can do better. uh, And 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 I'm I'm open to chatting about those and learning about those and talking about those and engaging with the community. But I think you're right. I think we're starting from a pretty good place. I think we're starting from a strong relationship of trust with our community.
0: Well, Jeremy, it's been a great podcast we talked about a lot of stuff we can we can do another one at some point
1: i'd love to yeah Um, no i thoroughly enjoy it
0: so you got a view what what's the deal after you get your law degree you're kind of going to retire or
1: yeah. So, uh, I'm tier four. So I, whether I stay 20 years, 25 yeah. years, I, I don't have quote a pension anymore. Mine's a defined contribution, but yeah, the, the idea is to kind of transition, um, past the bar is, is step number one. Uh, and Make if sure i to pass the bar, yeah, yeah, that's a big one. Uh, and then yeah, transition into sort of the labor, the labor law. I want to stay here in Anchorage, want to continue practicing, uh, and, and working with law enforcement and law enforcement unions in the state to, uh, you know, provide them representation.
0: Well, Jeremy, it's been a great discussion. I really appreciate coming out. Like I told Bill, I said the b- biggest thing in this country is sometimes I feel like there's not as much of a nuanced discussion on, on any right. issue, whether it's politics or police or you know, anything. So sitting down with you and, and having a, having a conversation has been been really good. And, and I want to have I want to have more. So
1: uh, absolutely, I uh, I'm I'm grateful for you having me on. I I really enjoyed it.
0: Okay, Jeremy. Well, appreciate it. We'll we'll do another one. Sounds good. Thanks. Okay. All right, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, uh, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.